calling all lovers of mystery and fans of a good story. If you haven't already heard me talk about June's journey, you're in for a treat. It's time to don your detective hat in this free hidden object mobile game that delves into the captivating journey of June Parker, a self-proclaimed detective on a quest to unravel the mystery surrounding her sister's untimely death. In June's journey, you get to play as June, deciphering clues and unveiling secret plots within thousands of beautifully illustrated scenes. And did I mention it's set in the glitzy 1920s? New chapters are added weekly, so you will never run out of new thrills to uncover, and you can also personalize and decorate your very own Orchid Island where the story takes place. How sharp are your detective skills? Find out when you download June's Journey on your Android or iOS device, or play online via Facebook games. Your detective journey awaits. Welcome to Blood is Red, volume one of the Color Collection series of short story anthologies written by number one New York Times bestselling novelist Scott Sigler. Blood is Red is also available as an ebook and an unabridged audiobook. For links to purchase any version, visit scottsigler.com slash blood is red. Good morning, junkie, or good afternoon, or good evening, or whenever the hell you are choosing to listen to this. How can I predict? What am I, the Oracle at Delphi? Welcome to part two of The Great Snipe Hunt. I have a new audio story out on Halloween Day 2023. That is October 31st, 2023. For those of you people who do not worship this lovely pagan festival, it's called Druden. It is a World War II horror story. Two and a half hours long with a full cast, audio effects, cinematic music, the works. You can check out a sample at scottsigler.com slash druden. And that URL also has pre-order links for Audible and Amazon. Remember, Druden is audio only. There won't be a print or ebook version of this because it is adapted from an original screenplay that I wrote. I'm almost done with the first draft of Warpath, that super secret novel I can't tell you about yet. It will soon be off to the editor. Up next on my slate is the review of the continuity and story edits of Slay Season 1. Thanks to the work of editor Big John Viscar and co-creator Rob Otto, who recently got their notes back to me. Slay will be out in hardcover, ebook, and audiobook on February 14th, 2024. Now, let's get back to the urban bio-thriller known as The Great Snipe Hunt. Part 2, which you're about to listen to, is a bit over 15 minutes. I know that is short, but the final segment of the story is over 20, so enjoy this little in the middle, and we'll have much back in the next episode. Shamika was the only member with a vehicle, a beat-up VW van, once yellow and now mostly consumed by rust, commonly referred to as the hippie bus. It carried the four of them, a dozen black plastic cases filled with equipment, and their dirty laundry, to Carlos's mother's apartment in the city. While Jake and Shay were the ringers, they weren't the only card Carlos had up his sleeve. Each in the quartet had come from modest backgrounds, if not from flat-out poverty, but Carlos was perhaps the poorest of them all. He lived in a neighborhood that had more buildings vacant than occupied, some collapsed, others on their way down in a neglect-fueled slow-motion battle against gravity. Yet despite the area's dilapidated condition, there was still a sizable human population that produced a sizable amount of garbage. Carlos knew all too well the lure of his neighborhood, 
on rats and cockroaches. As a child, he'd suffered several rat bites despite his mother's best attempts to keep the apartment vermin-free. It didn't matter if she kept the place spotless, not when the neighbor next door or above or below lived like a scumbag. As for insects, well, Carlos figured he might be a shoo-in if Guinness ever started counting most cockroaches killed in a lifetime. His home sat dead center in an area of urban decay, the perfect headquarters for the great snipe hunt. The second-floor apartment's window provided a clear view of a debris-filled vacant lot. Beyond the lot lay an abandoned building. Even though that one was still standing, no one remembered it as anything other than a drug house that watched a chronological procession of controlled substance abuse, opium, then heroin, then crack, then meth. The penniless four moved through the abandoned lot, setting up equipment and running wires. Piles of brick and masonry abounded, as did slabs of concrete that stood up at odd angles like some drunk's version of Stonehenge. Carlos's brother Hector was a high-ranking member of the Latin Bulls, a gang that ruled the area. Many inner-city kids ridiculed Carlos's attempt to pull himself out of poverty via an education, but not Hector. Hector, who had lost his right pinky and ring finger in a knife fight, was furiously proud of his younger brother, whom he called his little genius. Hector assured the quartet's protection for the weekend's research. Not that any of them worried much, with the exception of Jake. Shomikwa was born and bred in Harlem and knew her way around the streets. Che had been a mouthy Vietnamese kid in Brooklyn. They all knew when to talk shit, when to shut up, and when to run like hell. Jake, however, the biggest and meanest of them all, a man-boy that could outfight a long dick bull with a piece of rusty barbed wire wrapped around his balls, was terrified of the city. Jesus, Carlos, this shit makes me nervous, Jake said as he typed code into a laptop connected to a half-dozen instruments. We've been out here for three hours. The only white person I saw was a cop. He looked too smart to stop. Carlos unspooled wire, running it from the abandoned building a hundred yards to his apartment building. Would you stop your whining? My God, it's sad to know you're just another sucker for the racist stereotypes perpetrated by the white-controlled media. Fuck you, Carlos. Jake said without looking up from the computer. This place just ain't right. Inside the apartment, the sense of pride was an almost tangible thing. They adjusted the controls on two monitors, set up side by side on a thin but sturdy card table, patched here and there with black-rimmed duct tape, a poor man's furniture accessory supporting some 20 grand worth of the university's property. Jake and Chase sat in folding chairs, each in front of a monitor, adjusting the controls of the equipment they had borrowed. Shamiqua shook her head. That's not what I mean. Take this city we're in, for example. Millions of people. Even the worst rundown buildings have some homeless or druggies or dealers or crackheads or kids looking for a place to play. There's no such thing as a completely abandoned building. It doesn't matter how good the snipes are at avoiding humans. Sooner or later, someone's going to see them. It would probably be a myth like a Bigfoot or Loch Ness Monster. You know, no evidence. Only questionable eyewitness accounts. But there's nothing like that. Chase shrugged. Who cares? The freak this is to start with. No, she's right, Carlos said. We have to modify Doc P's theory to accommodate this observation. And I know how. The only thing that makes sense is this. If someone does see the snipes, the snipes get rid of that person before he or she can talk. They're smart enough to kill anyone who uncovers their secret. Shemiko laughed, then traded high-fives with Carlos. That's why I love you, boy, 
We're going on safari with Doc P for sure. You my intellectual OG. Jake turned in his chair. What the hell is an OG? It means original gangster, Hayseed, Chase said, then continued in an exaggerated impression of Jake's drawl. They's the main members of a gang. If y'all rednecks didn't spend so much time looking over y'all's shoulders when y'all come to the city, you might get some learning. They laughed, but Jake glowered. Y'all think this is funny, do you? I'll tell you what, I'll even the score. Next time the clan holds a rally back home, I'll bring you down so you can observe them. We'll see how safe you feel there. The analogy illustrated Jake's uneasiness. The other three wordlessly decided to back off, if only for a little while. Island in Frigid Lake Superior. A fabricated creature birthed from the mind of a disturbed genius stalks the very people who created it. Ancestor by number one New York Times bestselling author Scott Sigler is a classic tale of science gone horribly wrong. Available wherever you get your podcasts. They awoke to the smell of bacon frying with black pepper and Cajun seasoning. They lounged about the tiny kitchen table in various stages of dress, laughing with each other and entertaining Carlos's diminutive mother with college stories. She wore her maternal pride as if it were a priceless mink coat. While the project had them excited, they didn't immediately attend to the video monitors and the recordings. It was, after all, a snipe hunt, and all they were doing was providing a thorough and inventive means for documenting a creature that simply did not exist. They ate heartily, devouring a dozen eggs amongst them, along with a loaf of toast and a huge plate of the peppered bacon. Che wandered away first, drifting to the monitors. Carlos sat next to his mother, reveling in the morning's fun, appreciating his family, his friends, and the good fortune that had delivered him from guns and gangs and violence. Shamiko wandered to the couch for some Saturday morning cartoons, while Jake refused to leave the table until Carlos's mother had finished her breakfast. The morning droned on with that warm, lazy quality of students' home just after completing the rigors of final exams. Nothing to do but bask in the luxury of nothing to do. That atmosphere evaporated when Shay rewound the recording and watched, disbelieving, for the third time. Uh, uh, guys, I think you better come take a look at this. The others noted his tone, simultaneously excited, concerned, and afraid. They gathered around the table. Jake slid into the other folding chair like a co-pilot responding to a captain's concern. This is the infrared recording, Chase said. He hit play. They watched the screen fill with patterns of blacks and blues and greens. Then, like a beacon of alarm, a blotch of red entered from the left. It bobbed around, moved in a circle, then seemed to climb the wall a few inches before disappearing. It's just a rat, Carlos said. Jake pointed the screen. His voice had taken on the same worried tone as Che's. Look at the scale. That thing was a foot tall if it was an inch. Last time I checked, rats didn't walk erect. Can you blow that up, Che? Che rewound the section, then punched at the keyboard. The blurry video picture zoomed in on the red splotch. At first, the splotch seemed to move on all fours. Then it rose up on two legs and walked toward the wall before climbing and disappearing, leaving only the blues, greens, and blacks. So it's a crazy rat, Carlos said. Rats stand on their hind legs all the time. They're smarter than shit and they know how to reach out for things. And if you've never seen a foot-long rat, 
Then you need to spend some more time in mi barrio, S.A. It's not just a single occurrence, Chase said. He reached to the second monitor and called up an image of familiar blues and blacks along with streaks of fuzzy red. I had this program to track motion so we could trace the patterns of any snipes. The brighter the red, the more traffic. The picture showed a wide shot of the concrete-strewn lot. Thick red streaks blazed definitive trails across the picture, moving amongst the dense rubble and buildings on either side. Jesus, Shamikwa said. It looks like a friggin' game trail with all that traffic. Che's fingertips traced the red lines on the screen. And the traffic is very defined, very regular. Notice there's no spots of faint red streaks, as one would expect with randomly moving rats or squirrels. That's what got me freaked out, Carlos. This regular dense movement is comparable to people walking on a path or, you know, even a sidewalk. Carlos glared at the others. You don't think we've actually found a fucking snipe, do you? No one answered him. You think rats are stupid? They follow the path of least resistance. They've got trails just like any other mammal. And that's all we're seeing. Rat trails. You've got all this time coded, don't you, Che? Of course. Good. Then call up the actual video for that infrared movement you showed us to start with, and you'll see it's just a big damn rat. Jake worked the controls of the second keyboard, punching in the time code, calling up a digital video image of the lot. The picture showed recognizable rubble, rusted metal, and grass that had before been represented only by cool colors. Here it comes, Jake said. Right now. Something moved in from the left, but was hidden in the shadows. Jake rewound the image and zoomed in, enhancing the picture. He hit play. The movie rolled on. They watched it through the first time without speaking. Jake rewound it without prompting from the others, then superimposed the infrared image. They watched it again, in slow motion this time, just to be sure they hadn't suffered some group delusion. Camouflage, Shamiqua said, her voice a breathless whisper. Holy fucking shit. They watched the overlapped images a third time. The glowing red splotch moved as before, but the normal video showed that spot as a large piece of wrinkled newspaper. The splotch moved toward the wall, climbed a short ways, then disappeared, leaving the newspaper to fall gently to the ground. They moved out of the apartment building as a unit, then spread out across the rubble. Maps had been quickly drawn while watching the tapes for fourth, fifth, and sixth time, and now the penniless four used those maps to examine the high-traffic areas. Jake and Shay split up, maps in hand, pouring over the area. Carlos and Shamiqua stayed together, crawling across the ground, searching for a footprint, strands of fur, anything. There's got to be an explanation for what we saw, Carlos said. Shamiqua scowled. What are you, Agent fucking Scully? Whatever we saw used newspaper as camouflage. That doesn't mean we found a fucking snipe. Maybe it's just a smart rat. Mm-hmm. A rat smart enough to use camouflage to hide from predators and people? Don't you think that fact alone would qualify the rat as one of Dr. Pillion's snipes? Come on, Shammy, Carlos said. This snipe thing is just designed to test your resourcefulness. They're not real. She stood. Maybe that's what we were supposed to think. Or, knowing Doc P, what we're supposed to assume. Maybe he knew all along that these things were out there, and he's been waiting for some students to find them. Carlos looked up at her. Come on, you can't think that. This is a fictitious animal. If we've discovered something here, he didn't plan on it, and he doesn't know about it. 
We need to take this slow and steady. They stopped ten feet from the wall where the red blotch had disappeared. Carlos waved to Jake and Shay, calling them over. You find anything? Jake asked. Carlos shook his head. Shay looked around the lot, taking it all in. This can't be right. I know this is mostly grass and concrete, but there's plenty of dirt in these high-traffic areas. There should have been some prints of some kind, some tracks. We should have found something. Snipes wouldn't leave tracks, Shamiqua said. They'd be too smart for that. Carlos turned on her. Shut up, Shammy! There are no fucking snipes! Che put a hand on Carlos's shoulder. Chill out, man. Don't get pissy here. Jake stood tall, his battered cowboy hat utterly out of place amongst the urban wreckage. Come on, he said, his voice cold and authoritative. We're going back to the apartment. They followed him, trusting his instincts, his hunting experience. Halfway back, he spoke quietly. We got animals using camouflage, animals that hide their tracks. We're going to have to think this out. I don't understand, Chase said. What are we waiting for? We found them, so let's go look in the building and see if we can spot one. Shamiqua shook her head. We can look, but we won't find anything. We have documentation that this place was crawling with snipes or rats or whatever, and we can't even find a single track or any evidence that they were here. But there were hundreds of them. Based on that, I doubt we'll find anything inside that building. The snipes aren't going to sit on their asses and let us come find them. The penniless four returned to the apartment. Jake and Shay sat once again, Carlos and Shamiqua standing behind them. We have to watch her scent, Jake said. If that building is where they live, we don't want to touch anything until we're ready to go in. Shay's face furrowed with confusion. Scent? We're not chasing big game here, great white hunter, so let's not get carried away, all right? Jake continued as if Shay hadn't spoken. This ain't hypothetical anymore. This is a hunt, and I'm the only one who knows about that. We go in that building, and our scent will be everywhere. These things smell us. Maybe they take off for good. Shay shrugged. Thought he proposed we go in if we can't go in at all. We go right in through the wall, Jake said. Since these things are so good at hiding from us, we gotta rush the building. I mean, tear ass out of the apartment and head straight for the hole. We peek in to see what we can see, then we break through the wall. It's cinder block. I could go through that with a sledgehammer about 30 seconds. Judging from the amount of traffic that goes through that hole, we should be in the middle of a friggin' snipe freeway once we're through. Che looked at the screen, showing the snipe wall, then back to Jake. What then? So we get on the snipe turnpike. What then? Carlos reached under the table and sorted through the pile of black equipment cases. He pulled one out, set it on the table, and unsnapped it. Inside lay a pair of stainless steel air-powered tranquilizer pistols. I asked Doc P for these, just to score some more points with him, you know? Just to show him we thought of everything. It looks like they might come in handy after all. Shamiqua lifted one of the pistols. We gotta catch one. Once we've got a specimen, we'll either confirm this or find the truth about what's going on. No matter what we do, our first priority should be to gather a specimen. The quartet fell silent. As usual, all eyes turned to Carlos. He stared off into space then nodded his head. Shammy's right. We gotta get a specimen. We'll do it tonight, and we'll do it Jake's way. Shammy, you and Chase stay here and go over the recordings. See what details you can pick out that'll help us tonight. Jake, you come with me. We gotta go buy a sledgehammer. Jake looked nervous about walking around the neighborhood, but he went anyway.
You have been listening to Blood is Red, volume one of the Color Collection series of short story anthologies written by Scott Sigler, performed by the author. For more information on Scott, please visit scottsigler.com. Blood is Red was produced by Empty Set Entertainment. Copyright 2023, Empty Set Entertainment. Theme music is Dead Silence by the composer Vazia Sakal. Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Buntwine, erstwhile monk turned traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Buntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available.